You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Friends, welcome to episode 45 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level, I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? You know, I'm not doing too bad. Yeah, right? Yeah. You're, uh, we, we played your game last weekend. We did. We did. And uh, had a blast, it was if different. I don't mind saying Thank myself. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I think uh, what I was going for worked out really well, and then you guys wanted to keep going, so I made it work. Yeah, yeah. Exploring the ruins of an old creepy castle in a post-apocalyptic world, and kind of, yeah, yeah. going into the bowels and trying to get a uh, get get an ancient machine going again with a big steam boiler that I powered with a fire elemental. It was good times. Yeah, yeah. little little, little bit different. I wanted that room to be a little bit more than it was, Uh but. uh, uh, I, I, at least visually, and uh, but I think it worked out in the end. Yeah, I think right everything on. worked out in the end. So right we've got more scenarios coming up. It'll be fun. But uh, you, yeah. uh, you also used some of those uh, those printout uh, yeah. PDF like dungeon I, tile things. Yeah, I uh, I saw um, when I originally posted this, some of that stuff. I thought it was a really great idea, and I've kind of been following the guy on YouTube uh-huh. um, to see some of the new stuff. And I'm going to be pulling some more of that stuff out because it's just too easy. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really cool. It's simple. I think everybody should do it. Um at least a little. I I think it was in 8 hours I put together a a full keep with two floors. Yeah, right? And most of that was just me transitioning from a, like a printed map that I had made into a functional room by room map. Mm-hmm. But I I mean now that I've got it down, I could probably do it in half the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's got a bunch of stuff where he talks about uh, being able to quick, quick create dungeons and stuff. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's it's cardboard. It was leftover cardboard I had sitting around. The most expensive part was me printing because my printer went bad, so I had to go to Kinko's. Oh, my God. Uh, so that was the most expensive part about that whole process. But, uh, you know, $50 later, I had a full keep and extra parts. Yeah, exactly. So – And yeah. it, it looked great. It played great. Mm-hmm. So yeah. – Yeah. I was I was really surprised. Uh, you, can, really you, surprised. Can, you can find some of those pictures, by the way. Uh, I, I, I think I posted some to both Twitter and to Instagram. Yeah. So if yeah. you want to check those out. Also, uh, I think there was definitely some discussion uh, and some pictures up on uh, our Discord. If you're not a member yes. of our Discord, uh, you can find that link uh, on, our, on our Twitter at ST underscore Conclave. Yep. And for those of you who join, uh, there is just a welcome that comes in. Just say something into it for us and we will get you set up as a listener. Uh, we just do that to make it easy because there's a lot of bots that just jump on and off and we don't want to have a bunch of bots sitting in our channel. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. So anyways, uh, we got a show. Yeah. So we're talking today about uh, big combat. Yeah. Um, we're talking like stuff. ships and giant monsters and yeah. uh, you know um, giant armies clashing against each other. Things, things a little more than you know a handful of goblins in a dungeon. Yeah, you we know? talked about scope. Now we're going to talk about scale. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a lot of times when I think of scale, I think a lot about like moving from individual miniatures to something like Warhammer uh, Fantasy where you've got a block of them and you're talking about stuff like that and you're moving whole blocks and stuff. A lot of times there's a lot of the um, historical combat mm-hmm. uh, where they're doing that same thing. It's units moving across the Rank board. Rank and file. Yeah. You've got 50 troops at a time in, yeah. a, in a big block. Yeah, you, know, you might have artillery units that are doing something to an area or suppression and things like that. And that's not really what you want to get into when you're thinking about like role playing. Can I can I tell you that's actually what got me into Warhammer in the first place? Really? Yeah, okay. I was uh so I was running a campaign back in the day and uh there was a necromancer that had uh, uh destroyed an entire city. Um it was uh, Crowley's background oh, yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from your, from yeah, your yeah, yeah. game. Um and uh I, I decided that somewhere in my in my my world story t- storyline that basically there was a bunch of um like good guys essentially, pal- mm-hmm. groups of paladins and knights and whatnot that they were going to go take the city back from the undead. Sure. And uh, so I kind of wanted to play those battles out and I wanted you know the PCs to be commanders of that and such like that. Mm-hmm. And I started looking into, well, how do you handle mass combat? And this was back in like the 3.5 days. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, I was having a lot of problems with it and then I realized like, oh, hey, Warhammer is a mass combat style thing. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you just kind of threw some of those rules in there. I, I didn't end up actually playing out that part of my D&D campaign, mm-hmm. but uh, I did end up accidentally stumbling into Warhammer and more yeah. time along it's, with it. So. Yeah, and, and having a compelling, expensive existence. Really expensive it, But it got existence. you into painting more? I, I was already painting. I was already painting the pewter D&D miniatures. But, but more? But yeah, but a lot more and a lot cooler miniatures and mm-hmm, stuff like that than mm-hmm, just, you know, your mm-hmm. $3 pewter pieces. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, definitely. No, definitely I think it definitely had a place for it. But mm-hmm. um, so I know that like uh, some of the systems I've played mm-hmm. have some pieces in there, and we kind of go from that concept. I'm thinking of of kind of starting with the whole mass miniature thing, because um, like I know Seven uh, C has stuff for ships, mm-hmm. and the system's different, and it's not so much mass combat, but group combat. Uh, in the in the ship based combat, so yeah. when you're talking like ship to ship, instead of having one person controlling the ship, mm-hmm. they actually break it up so that each player can take a position. Right, right. You know, right. someone controls the sail, someone controls the gun, someone controls the rudder, someone controls, you know, works on the hull. Someone has the crew, and each one of your attributes kind of sits as a flare, you know, toward that. So like maybe the person who has uh, the best panache is the one who's working the rudder mm-hmm. and that's the – their their dice affect that and there's some bonuses they get for the type of ship and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it basically gives them a position um, to work with and I think that works really well and keeps everybody kind of moving together. They're making the roles as a sure. team. Sure, sure. You know, um, there's a couple other systems that do that. I want to say there's one of the Star Trek um, – Systems does that as well because you have like helm and things oh, like that yeah. as well. Um, For as big of a trucker as I am, I've, I've never actually played a, uh, a, yeah. a Star Trek game. Um, but at least then you're keeping everybody involved and I think that's a really important part mm-hmm. of, of keeping table cohesion. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't want people just falling asleep at your table, which we do get when you have people who are combat monkeys during a social event or vice versa. Exactly. So exactly. I think that's something you have to think. But when you start stepping into stuff like fifth edition, which is already – and I'll say it. You know, D&D as a whole has been rules medium. It's always mm-hmm. sat in that bridge point. It's not palladium rules and it's not like, you know uh, – uh, Apocalypse world. Yeah, yeah. where – you know, or or even something as simple you – know, I'm not – WR&M. WR&M was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, where you've got these two very diametrically opposed systems, you've got them sitting in the middle where you need a certain level of rules to apply to it. So you've mm-hmm. got like in 5th edition the uh, Unearthed Arcana mass combat rules that got put out, mm-hmm. um, which I'll drop a link for, um, But uh, which are neat. But again, they're D&D rules. You look at it. There's CRs. There's action tables. There's right. economy that's involved in it. Right. It doesn't lend itself to everybody doing the work so much but there are rules for it to include in there um and and it does like uh there are ways to change the initiative and there are some teamwork things you do you're right Knox um but there's also a lot of homebrews that people have done within that system as well mm-hmm. um i kind of had one where uh they had basically taken that and changed a little bit about it in how uh your attributes affect things like charisma changes the morale, uh, the your dexterity changes initiative, your intelligence changes unit size. The actions are a little different in economy. Yeah, um, yeah. But then you also have the other one that I sent you, which was this one on Reddit that I found. Oh God! And it was, I mean, I like I said, I, I was I was telling you at, at dinner today, I was like, I, I read that entire thread, yeah. and it's this brilliantly broken down uh, thing about like how armies have certain like troop values to them, but then of course their readiness and their you know their equipment mm-hmm. and their experience and that stuff creates that. a value. It creates a certain value, and you multiply it by this, but divide it by that, and then you you know you consider like, well, these guys are defending a keep, so they've got a fortification, right? And it takes all these. Things Things into account and then breaks it down into mm-hmm. these th- these different phases with different objectives. Yeah, it's numbers heavy, and it was really numbers heavy, but it was really detailed and it was a really good way of looking at combat. Yeah, and I had two thoughts when yep. looking at it, and I thought this is brilliant, and also I never want to use this. Yeah, the one thing that I got out of it that I really liked uh-huh. was the milestones. Yes. And I thought that was a different thing in it and I'm going to get more into that a little later. Because um, the objective of a battle isn't always just to smash the other guy into submission. Correct. And that's 
nine times out of ten not why your PCs are there. Yep. They're not commanders running the battle for that. Exactly. And if they were, you'd be playing Warhammer. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only mass combat we're talking about. Sure. You know, when we were talking about um, things like uh, changing mechanics where you're saying it's a it, it's a not just a scale difference, but it's it's a it's a design difference. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Mech Warrior was an example you gave. That there's literally BattleTech and MechWarrior are two yeah, different you, system sets. You've got you've got two different two different uh, role playing systems for them. At least you did back in the day. I don't I don't know what uh, is it Catalyst Games that's got uh, the yes. BattleTech license now. Yep. Um, I, I don't know what Catalyst is doing with it, but back when it was Fasa, mm-hmm. you had um, BattleTech, which was what you were doing in the battle mechs. It was battle right. mech versus battle mech combat, mm-hmm. and then you had MechWarrior, which is a completely different role playing system mm-hmm. that took care of all of your out of the mech. Combat or all, all of your out of the mech stuff in general. It was a lot more akin to your, to your regular traditional tabletop role playing game. You played right, a right. character, you had stats, you had equipment, and you navigated that 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 world around there. And I thought, especially you know back in that day, that was a really brilliant way of going about it because then you could kind of have your cake and eat it too. Right. I mean, uh, whereas like in Seventh C, they kind of bring mass combat right in with the normal line of things mm-hmm. by basically just changing the way effectively you're fighting so brutes are a way to have mass combat mm-hmm. where you're literally just stepping through because again characters i mean look at legolas like when he goes into a combat he's not fighting one other dude he's fighting a whole group of people because that's what he can do right he's right. a hero he and gimli are keeping count because they're killing that many dudes right right you know? i mean princess bride yep you know anigo montoya Literally just steps down a hallway and murdering. Step, 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 And step. now he's standing in front now of the ten door. of your guys are dead. Right, right. You know, and they even say that, you know, it's like I could take on maybe ten. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that leaves like, you know, 20 for me, you know. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the thing is, is that that's the kind of logic you have to put behind some of that. So it changes why they're there and what they're doing. Yeah. You know, um, and then you have things like Urban Shadows where, yeah, you can talk about mass combat, but you're talking about it. The dice really aren't hitting the table much. Right. Involving right. It's, it's, it's more, more of, of a, an agreed upon scene. And then consequences. Happening. And then in, in, in the, the crowd size might be a complication in the scene, but it's yeah. never a numerical factor. Right, right. You know, but that in, in moving along that same lines, uh-huh. then you have what we were talking about before, which is where it's more of a scene it has it, it's the background right it's not right. actually what's going on like you look at scenes like the setting is in a battle right you're trying to get from point a to point b in a battle mm-hmm. so how do you pay i mean you got a kaiju attack in a city you're involved in that plot there's a reason why that kaiju is there mm-hmm. you know attacking that city but you're not going to do anything to that kaiju right right you are a you're literally an ant running at its feet trying to get away and this isn't even a matter of it has a million hit points and you only do 20 damage a hit right this is you are not damaging it correct you will not alter its path you are barely a paper cut in its existence you are utterly insignificant to it you are one ant amongst thousands yes 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 so in those situations you really do have to paint out the battle in a different way and how things are being affected Mm -hmm. but realistically the results of each one of the goals that are set forth are only affecting the player's portion of that story yeah you know and Movies do a good job of portraying this. I mean, you'll never see, you know, unless it's a single action hero type of movie where you know that person's going to punch out the kaiju somehow. Uh-huh. You know, Ant Man's going to grow to six hundred feet, equaling slightly larger than the size of the kaiju, and punch it. Yeah. Okay, great. That's that's wonderful. But nine times out of ten, that's not going to be the case. Real, real quick, y'all know what we're talking about when we say kaiju, right? Like we're talking Godzilla. about like Godzilla. Like yeah. the, the the word comes from Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it comes from Pacific Rim, but that's the one they it, used. In Pacific it was heavily Rim. used in Pacific Rim. Yeah, where yes. where the, the the giant Godzilla like monsters. Yeah, that's what we're talking yes. about. So the what? <laughs> the what? <laughs> the giant monster. The what? <laughs> oh, 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 totally, totally, man. The what now? Exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that 
you uh, – Riffs does a good job of talking about this with MDC versus SEC, oh, God, mega yeah. damage versus like standard damage. The coolest thing and also the worst thing in Palladium. But it made sense. Like if your oh, players are trying to get to a point where they can fire an MDC weapon to right. fight the MDC thing. Uh, I will give another good example right, hold of this. On, hold on. Before, okay, before we continue, we need sure, to remember sure, sure. that not everybody here has played Palladium. I will get to that. Especially not everybody has played Rift. So let's, right. let's define some terms before we start going off on how great or well, baleful no, MDC is. I, I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm going to talk about the framing of what it is. So uh, think of MDC as a tank shooting a cannon round. It, it is going to blow apart basic things like humans. Typical things, <laughs> typical people yes. have something called SDC. That yes. is st- uh, structural damage capacity. capacity correct. Okay. It's their ability to maintain or to, 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 to sustain compete. structural damage. Things that do SDC are Machine gun bullets, uh, regular pistol a bullets, knife. a knife, yes, yeah. a, a punch. But may if do you some fire SDC. a cannon, like a cannon, it will vaporize something. something, and that is MDC, which is mega damage. Now there's a, like a hundred to one ratio there. It is literally a hundred to one ratio. But honestly, there it's more than just the hundred and one ratio. That being said, mm-hmm. when you look at something like, and I'll give this example, Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, most people know the dude in Halo. You know, Master Chief. Yeah, Halo's and, a pretty cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> in all of his stories, he is fighting through a war. He affects things at strategic points, but for the most part, stuff is happening around him. He's coming to create – to finish goals uh-huh. You know, as he's stepping through those things. Um, but a good example is there's a huge fight going on and he gets – like their ship is going to get – destroyed by this bomb and he's like well i'm gonna go give it back to them mm-hmm. right and so he just grabs the bomb and he's jumps out the airlock his way through the ship to the bomb mm-hmm. and then jumps out and does this miraculous thing where he basically drops it off back on their ship we at least we think because halo 2 just ends there yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i'm still salty about that all That's these all years right. later oh well, it's fine that it's was the ending <laughs> yeah but the whole idea is is that he isn't affecting the other parts of the battle at all. Uh-huh. He's not directing the other ships. He's not talking about the cannons that are being fired. His shooting these grunts or those elites aren't changing the war. Yeah. He's just – it's part of the scenery around him while he's moving. Right. Until there, he there gets obstacles, to a milestone. Right. There are obstacles between him and his actual objective, which is rescue this person or st- shut this thing off yep. or whatever. He's not thinning their ranks any in any no. significant manner. Uh, and another good example of that is like Lord of the Rings. When you see uh, in uh, the greater battles, mm-hmm. it it had nothing to do with the fact that like Legolas takes down a freaking elephant. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, he took down an elephant. That's great. But I assure you that is one of a dozen yep. or more. Probably a hundred or so. Yeah. Right. Like – there are milestones that are have to happen to make changes occur on the field, mm-hmm. but in the grand scheme of things, they're getting to a point. That's what all they're doing. I, what I kept thinking about um, when we were when we were outlining this was uh, Les Misérables of uh, like Marius trying to get to Cosette in the middle yes. of the French Revolution. Exactly. You know, look, the French Revolution is happening whether Marius is there or not. Yes. Uh, Marius is just trying to rescue his girlfriend. And like maybe make it out alive with her, you know, right. and that's that's all that's going on there, you know. So so I'm gonna try and scale this back in a mind frame of that. If you plan on doing something like mass combat in the minutia number sense, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that as long as your players are on board with it. Yeah, yeah. Because they might be all for that. They may be all about strongholds and men and cannons and tactics and mm-hmm. figuring out how their player can be the best commander at that. That's great. Do that thing. But if you're planning on just having a battle, don't go that far. And I found a really good article that I told you about yes. that kind of broke down some points to think about. And yes. I think these are a fantastic list when talking about mass combat. Um, and I'll put a link up there, but it was uh, – and I can't – I think it's like Yamri. Um, and it was from RPG on Stack Exchange. Uh-huh. Um, and I want to kind of go through these because I think the, both of these worked really well for us. Um, number one, establish the PC's uh, goal in the battle. You can't forget that the battle has a purpose for – but your PC's motivation may be different. Like I said, Marius is just trying to rescue Cosette. Yep. 
does not care about the French Revolution necessarily. Right. He's just there. Right. Uh, Three Musketeers, Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to get to Cardinal Richelieu. Yep. The whole fight with all of the Musketeers and the, and the guard is literally a backdrop. Yes, they're going to take out some on their way there and mm-hmm. they eventually are going to have to fight a henchman because he's going to be a bump in the road. Mm-hmm. You know, And there's going to be more bumps before they get to him. But that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Like one of them has to save the king and queen. That's a thing they have to do. But then as they move through that scene, there are milestones that are not – that are affecting the battle in different ways – but they're not directly involved. Mm-hmm. Like they're not fighting 60 guys on their own. They're fighting a few people but moving through. Right. You right. Know? Uh, Lord of the Rings does a good job of this as well. You know, you might have steps in a battle to get to a certain position mm-hmm. or to stop something. Uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep. You know, Stopping the, the guy with the torch. Exactly. Yep. Like he, he's – you got to take that guy out legless. That's a milestone right there. You know, all the other players can't get to him so – that he is doing direct shots and having to handle that situation while they're supporting. Exactly. You yeah. know, in some way. Um, that next one, uh, assure the players have uh, competence to attain their goal. If they are just fighting to win the battle, they need something different to differentiate them from the sea of regular troops. Mm-hmm. And this is where if you're stepping into a combat situation, not everyone is a commander. Not everyone is a berserker. Not everyone is those things. Right. They they have to be competent to what they're doing. So the scenes that they're involved in need to help for that compensation. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can really lose people with that part there. If they think it's just going to be a giant combat scene over and over and over again – your non-combat people are just going to get weak and, and, and really not be involved. And also, I mean, t- typically, I don't know what your experience is, but combat can get really dragged down. Oh, so I mean, much. We're talking, you know, 30, 30 seconds of, of, of combat can take three hours. What was it? A, you do a six-hour journey in one minute or a one-minute battle in six hours. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. So – um. This is the one that kind of got me, which was uh, treat the battle like a scene that surrounds the players. And yeah, we, that, we've was come the back to this. that was Do the big one. Do not treat the, that as a combat encounter, but rather a puzzle that can be solved through leadership, cunning, and violence. Mm-hmm. And that right there kind of sums up my feelings about mass combat when it comes to RPGs. Yes. Especially tabletop ones. You are a point in a scene. Mm-hmm. Things are happening around you. You're, fo- you're, you're basically – setting the stage each time that happens to show what is this per- these group of people doing and why yeah. in this point right here in the scene are they using some kind of leadership are they sneaking their way through something or are they literally just tearing through like 20 guys to get to the side of the room mm-hmm. really that's up to them how they want to handle that and i i think i think like setting things in a mass combat um you can you have a lot of great opportunities to do things like uh you know okay so your your pcs are someone special you yeah. know, you, the 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 enemy forces may send out a champion to deal with your with your characters, and so then you've got this scene on a battlefield mm-hmm. where you know the cave troll or the ring wraith exactly. comes out, you know, and your 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 hero PCs have a opportunity to square off mano a mano mm-hmm. with this enemy champion, and then you've got your standard encounter there. You've got exactly. a PC versus one or or a small handful of champions, and then the environment the uh becomes the battlefield. Right. It's where they're almost like terrain. You could you have great opportunities there for things like lair actions. Oh totally. Or like errant arrows or swords. You or, know? or bombardment is coming in. Exactly. Or uh you know if if somebody maneuvers too close to the edge of an amorphous bubble of no man's land, mm-hmm. you know, they might catch an odd sword or something like that, or it might count as difficult terrain as, yeah. you know, soldiers in that area are also kind of getting entangled with them. Exactly. But more or less, when they see the and when the enemies see the champion coming and they see right. you guys coming, yep. they're going to clear the dance floor for yeah. you. You know, I mean, it's it's the it, it is the field combat with the trolls, uh-huh. and I think that's a perfect example because when you watch those in movies, it feels like there's a space, yeah, a, a, an unknown bubble of of things that are going on. There's nobody stepping in to stab them in the back. There's there's you know right that happens at the end of the scene. Uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, is what was her name? Aon uh, mm-hmm. when she when she stabs the ring wraith in, yes. the, uh, in the face. Spoilers by the way. <laughs> um, 
And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that whole scene, I mean, they have time for dialogue. They mm-hmm. have time for, you know, the, the, him, you know, with her on her knees and he's just like, you know, no man can kill me. You well, know? it was, it was a pivotal scene because the monologuing. King is, yes. That's what we have the time king for. Fall, the king gets fallen and crushed by the horse. Uh huh. You know, so he's laying there and then she has to rescue him and you have another character involved trying to do an aid action. So, I mean, it's literally D and D, but around them is this difficult terrain that's happening. You know, and I think that's a perfect example of it. I think that's a great way of looking at it. So again, you don't want people to feel that they're having to deal with all of the combat, but just the scene that they're working with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the part that I think is the the step away that is is different than what I think most people think, and that is is ensure the party goals can be met regardless of the outcome of the battle. Right. It isn't about making their goals impossible. So. If it's certain that like the the orcs are going to win and take the castle and hold it, OK, great. Are you still going to be able to rescue the princess? Right. Uh-huh. Can you still get the king out to safety? Mm-hmm. You know, sure. There are, there are ways to do that. So I think that is the part. Like why are they there? Yeah. Are they getting a message out? Mm-hmm. You know, because that needs to happen. Do they have to get to a certain space and defend it for so long before reinforcements arrive? You know, even though a loss may occur because of of uh, of consequences mm-hmm. of certain actions, it doesn't mean that their goals can't be achieved in some way. Yeah, I think that's I think it's really great. I think it's really great. And honestly, like I just 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 listening to that list makes mm-hmm. me like excited to try some of these things. Yeah. I don't even have a real place where there's gonna be like a massive battle necessarily and you know in my story, but uh, there might be. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe maybe have an excuse there. <laughs> well, I got two more. Not a, one more really and the second one is is All just right. look it up. But that is assume that they act as a team as they normally would. Don't force players into tedious uh, tediously adhere to the battle grid or roll dice all the time. Oh yeah. And this is where it's like, okay, it's basically don't treat it like a combat encounter. Correct. You know? So it's like if a, they've got to get your from turn. one side of this, you know, like, hey, what are you guys doing, you know, uh you just saw um a flaming uh pitch Hit the second uh, tower ascender, mm-hmm. uh, and their your whole group in there is on fire. You guys have to go put that out. And they're like, "No, we're gonna let that. We're gonna sacrifice that. We're gonna make for the west hole in the wall and the breach the wall." Okay, uh, so you guys are crossing the field for that. Yeah, all right. Uh, everybody, give me dex uh, dex saves uh, for you know basically avoiding arrows and some of the uh, flying debris that's coming across the field. Some of the mortars. Uh, and then like, oh, OK, uh, we had two that failed. All right. Uh, healer, I need you to just expend two spell slots mm-hmm. for heals. That's it. That's done. Yep. Because, again, it's assumed that that's what's going to happen. You're not just going to let those people suffer. And in some way, whether it's one other person getting injured, covering someone or shield blocking or whatever, spells, healing spells are going to get used. Right. So like none of you are going to die off screen on a battlefield right. somewhere. You know, it's going to be it's going to be a villain that kills you. It's going to be a dramatic moment. It's not going to be like, oh, you failed a deck save in the middle of a mass combat. And, oh, right. Sorry, you got hit by a rock. Well, that's it. But then like maybe when they get to that break in the wall, a troll steps out. So now you have an action and a scene that they're going to have to get through. Maybe there's going to be a minor henchman there to monologue and have mm-hmm. a scene with. But again, it's. You don't need them fighting across that whole battle map. Right, there, right. There's there's no adventure there. Yeah. That's yeah. just a moment of passage, you know? Knox uh, Knox in the box is in the live chat. He's asking uh, – basically you just place obstacles and let them deal with it uh, Deal with it. however, yes? Um, yes and no. I would say the way milestones should work is you have an idea of how the battle is going to go. Right. They may have set – like if this is let's, – let's take it a couple different ways. Let's say the battle is something that they don't know about or don't have any control about. Mm-hmm. It's a you know, the king that they're working for is being assaulted, his castle is being assaulted by orcs and goblins, right? Sure. So that battle is going to happen. He the king's gonna be doing his thing with his guards, and the goblins and orcs are gonna be doing their things trying to assault and take it over. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever reason that is. Now, what is your plot? Why are they there? What are they doing there? Were they in the town working and now they've got to get out? Mm-hmm. Or do they still have to complete whatever they were doing and then get away? Are they going to help defend? 
Like that is the plot. That is what is going on. This exactly. is literally just background. So as events occur, the breach of the outer wall, the flooding of the city with the goblins, the you know uh, sewers getting you know pushed out, mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, bombardment of the great hall. You know each one of those things are things you as the storyteller are going to have scenes in the background that you're going to be telling them about this scenery that's occurring. Yep. You know. And throughout that, as they move through their situation, you're going to come up with moments where they have to pause and actively do something. And honestly, it's it's not really much different than than a, than a dungeon crawl at that point because instead of just going into a dungeon and moving through rooms and surpassing traps and fighting monsters right. to get to maybe the treasure at the end, right. your treasure may be something more you know more intangible than that, like right. escape the city alive right. or you know extricate the 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 princess so that yeah. you can get her out safely or something like yeah. that. And, and he, you know, Knox's but, idea. They they came to you. It's actually your fault that the king is being attacked. Great. So the king's like, oh, they're here for you. Well, I have two choices. Either I put you in a cell and take care of my city, or I just hand you over. So what's it going to be? Mm-hmm. You know. And now you have. Okay. Do they persuade the king to keep them? Yeah. Fine. You're going in a cell because this is your fault. We'll deal with you after I take care of this scum. Okay. Well, that's not going to go the way the king wants it to regardless. So now you're in a cell and we now have a beginning of an adventure again. Yep. You know, But again, you getting out of that cell is no different than Johnny Depp trying to get out of the bowels of his own ship screaming, stop blowing up my ship. Yep. You know? <laughs> or trying to get out of the uh, the, 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 the keep yep. while the Black Pearl is bombarding Pretty, it with – Exactly. Uh, yep. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's actually – that's a great example yeah. of the war going on around you as a yep. set piece – Yep. Is that that opening scene? Mm-hmm. Or not, well, not really opening, opening, but it's in the first half hour or so, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, the whole, the whole pirate attack on, uh, uh on port, uh, not remembering it now. I'm a terrible nerd. But anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Though. Yes. So, uh, the whole, uh, the whole part behind it is again, they're just moving through mm-hmm. the scene. And this is all flavor that's yes. around them. And how you calculate that flavor, how you – how they get involved with their scenery can shift mm-hmm. based upon things and attitudes and who they are. I mean if one of them has a military background, you know, as far as D&D is concerned, maybe they can redirect soldiers. Maybe they can bolster some sure. defense in an area sure. and that – Alter some of the course of what's going on and make make things easier for them. That's no different than being able to seduce a couple guards to get past them exactly. and closer to the chamber that you're trying to steal something exactly. from. Exactly. Well, I, I look at the I look at the orc troop movements. What are they What are they doing? Well, roll me a history check, real quick. Okay. Well, you notice that they're using what's what's typically referred to in military school as the Hawkins maneuver, yep. and they're you know they're going to be attacking this, but they're going to be feigning you know to the to mm-hmm. this flank. So you know if you put your troops over there, all right, fine. I bark at some guards. Go over there. Go over there. Okay. Well, great. You've just used your character skills to mm-hmm. resolve a complex. And you didn't get involved in the mass combat. Right. You know? And now you're able to move on. Exactly. You know, or worse yet, you are a military person and as you're going through, a lieutenant falls or a captain falls and the next lieutenant sees you, grabs you and says, Captain, what do we do? And you're like, oh, no, I'm the highest ranking guy in the room now. Oh, oh honey, no, I'm not your mom. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly the way it goes. That is exactly the way it goes. Yep. So yep. – and that's the kind of stuff that you can have. Port th- Royal. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Thank you. Um the scene from um uh you'll get there it's going to solo I believe in you oh in yeah solo where literally like they're a bunch of shysters looking like military people working their way across the field explaining what they need to do mm-hmm. you know and they're like well you're currently top rank and he kind of looks down and goes oh yeah i guess so well uh, we're going to do this and you guys are going to go this way and you know circle around he's like okay and, you know, whatever, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. But either way, they get back to camp and there he is with his crew mm-hmm. looking to steal a transport to get off planet, you mm-hmm. know. So it's it's those kinds of moments where you realize that they're not where they belong and they're lying about their position. I mean, I mean he they stole uniforms. Mm-hmm. So. But that's a plot complication it for is, them to work it, out. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So. I want to talk about kaiju. Go for it. I want to talk about kaiju because I, uh, I'm, I, I've mentioned before on the show I'm a big fan of the Dark Souls series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, to me, like 
I mean, there uh, pretty much every boss in every Dark Souls game is massive. Okay. Um, even even the man sized ones, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, are giants. Iodex Gundir, um, uh, Ornstein and Smo, um, are still giant compared to the player character. Sure. Um, at least a whole head, you know, a, a person and a half taller than you. you nice knocks. Um, and uh, you know, it it always kind of got me that like uh especially on certain bosses where you know you're just kind of hacking at their at their ankles mm-hmm. with whatever sword you've got going on right there. right right and uh i mean that's, that's definitely one way of going about it um and it makes you feel very epic when you're fighting something like that and i mean it's, it's not really a big kaiju necessarily it's not something that's going to be destroying an entire town right but if you've got something of that scale you know, it's definitely on an epic size of of, of battle, right? Um, and the miniatures, like I, I, I would constantly think back to uh, the uh, one of the plots that ran in the first season of Critical Role, mm-hmm. um, where they they fought uh, Thordak the Cinder King, and mm-hmm. the miniature was the size of a house cat. I I, I swear to God. It was an ancient red dragon. There you go. You know, and the thing stood probably a foot tall. Yeah, they they were using it as a as like a a, a, a table centerpiece on their talk show. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, so I, I always thought, uh, like, I, on one hand, those are really cool, but on the other hand, like you were saying earlier, you know, if it's a monster that's that big, you're not going to be, you know, no. your your sword's not going to do. You wield a short sword. Yeah. You've got daggers. Yeah. You know, your dagger isn't long enough to pierce one of its scales all the way through. You think you're doing structural damage to it? Yeah. You know. So then that got me thinking Mm -hmm. uh, about two things. Sure. Uh, Kind of an article I saw on – I want to say it was on D&D Beyond. Sure. Okay. uh, A while back. Um, Not not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Maybe a couple months. And uh, you ever play the game – oh, God, no, I'm, I'm blanking on the uh, – uh, it was one of those Ico games where you were fighting those giant titans okay. and you had to stab them and they're glowing symbols. But you had to like crawl your way up the titan. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're actually like – you're climbing them. Yeah. 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 And they're like these big uh, – these these big like animal-style creatures. Yeah, and they're yeah, covered yeah. in runes and they're just carved from ornate stone and stuff yeah. like that. But you had um, – and it, this this whole article was about using weak points. Mm-hmm. You know, and how your your monster will be invulnerable, but during the fight, your PCs instead of having to just whittle it down like it's a giant bucket of hit points covered by an AC, right? Instead, have to try to figure it out like a puzzle. Thank you, Sam. Shadow of the Colossus. Oh yeah, Shadow of the Colossus. Thank you. Perfect. Um, so. Uh, you know, doing things like um, using Arcana to figure out that um, there is a rune, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a, a rune of invulnerability or something like that. that right. Maybe you know, if if you if you target it, it's got a higher AC, but it's got a small hit point pool, and if yeah. you're able to take it out, you know, things start coming apart for that monster. Smog or, has a missing scale on his underside. Exactly. Things like that, yeah. or using the environment. Um, one of the uh, one of the the uh, there, there's a couple of great fights in the second Dark Souls game okay. where you don't really actually kill the boss as much as you put the boss in a position to be defeated. <laughs> okay. Um, the first one, uh, though, you can kill the boss the traditional way, and many mm-hmm. people do. Um, is the fight versus the pursuer. Um, mm-hmm. and he's this big knight guy with a giant like buster sword mm-hmm. cloud strife style you know okay. sort of thing supersized um, blade ridiculous handle ridiculous. nobody nobody should be it. carrying it and he one hand of course it. he does and he's an he's a jerk about it yeah and uh there but the, the, the first time you fight him there are a couple of uh ballista in his uh oh. in his room and if you can get him set up just right and you can get him in front of one of those ballista long enough that you can get behind it and pull the trigger on it you can two shot him really yeah wow it's boss and that's actually how i beat him okay um, okay the second one uh-huh. is the skeleton chariot sure uh and essentially what that is is there it's just a big circular room mm-hmm. and there are little alcoves um kind of into the walls and stuff like that and there's like these skeletons coming up out of out of all of the place you're just being assailed by just little guys mm-hmm. right you could fight through them but the problem is about every 15 seconds or so the skeleton chariot comes by and just mows down anything that's in the hall including them if you are including them yeah. But they'll get back up because they're skeletons. Right. They're constantly reforming themselves. They're just bags of bones with swords. Right. You know? 
Um, and they'll try to push you out of the alcoves. And if you're not in one of those alcoves, when the chariot comes by, you get mowed down too. Right. And eventually what you end up doing is dropping a portcullis in the middle of the thing. Oh. And the skeleton chariot can't hit the brakes fast enough and just smashes himself onto this portcullis. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and so using clever mechanics like that, instead of whittling down a bag of hit points. Luke versus the. Sarlacc. Sarlacc. No. Uh, the no no the, no sorry, uh, the the rancor rancor yes he used precisely like that using the environment against it instead of just going into it and hacking it apart with his lightsaber what's yeah. that kind of thing going to do which he didn't have exactly so I mean that's the kind of thing that that you you want to have those movies rolling through your head to try and think about how you want to design scenes for players exactly to give them exactly. opportunities what kind of insight what kind of arcana what kind of history. You know, are these mm-hmm. things are, are going to give them access to options, mm-hmm. you know, and this is just me. I'm putting this out there. If your players are sitting at a table and they're going to be fighting a dragon, you know, a, 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 again, maybe they they come around the corner and between them and their exit is a red dragon. Mm-hmm. They've got to fight it or figure it out. If they just start pulling together insight, investigation, and lore checks and are doing well at them, Roll even, if, even if you haven't come up with something, there's nothing to say with, OK, you got a 19 on your uh, investigation check. What do you see? What did you find? Um, there's stalactites in the ceiling. Excellent. You notice that they're quite sharp and made of a brittle stone at the top. Uh, probably a few good hits or maybe a shatter spell might knock them clean. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's things like that. Give them the opportunity to do a little storytelling with yeah. you. You don't have to come up with everything on your own. You don't have to be super sharp on your feet. You can give them a little storytelling option, mm-hmm. and it's a negotiation too. I mean, yeah. you're still the storyteller, so it's not. It's not going to be like you know, oh, there's a mounted machine gun, and you're just like, oh crap, mounted machine guns don't exist. But they just said mounted machine guns, so I guess we they exist now. You know, nothing like y- that. You, you can still veto it. Yeah, you can be like, there isn't a mounted machine gun, but there is a ballista. But there is an old ballista. You're not sure if it works or not. Give me a check. You know. Yeah. Exactly. You know, could you could you use it? You know. Do you have the ability to use it? Well, you don't, but the dwarf might. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. Another thing is is that you, there's nothing that says you say there's a there's a ballista up there and like well none of us know how to use siege weapons. There are four cowering dwarves in the corner, <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to get out the same door you and they're not going to make it nearly in the run that you are. Uh huh. They might be willing to assist you. Yeah. You know. So I, I like the idea that large scale, like we were saying, and large scale, mm-hmm. the, the two sides of that combat, can be handled differently. It doesn't have to be by the table and grid and numbers if you don't want it to be. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be all a a point of the sword versus brunt of the skin. It can be a mix. It can be thought-provoking a little bit too. <laughs> Knocks on the box in the chat says, we're outgunned. Paladin, what's a gun? Yeah. Which is funny to me because Paladin was an old Western show. Paladin. Yeah. Paladin. Yeah. <laughs> Paladin knows exactly what a gun is. Is it? Uh, I can't remember. the Because it was from uh, Stand By Me is what taught it to me. Oh. Because they sing it. They're, they're singing it as they're walking down the rails. I don't think I've seen. Pa- Have gun seen... we will travel in the heart of a man. A night without honor in a savage land. Paladin. I don't know that I've seen Stand By Me all the way through. Yeah. Uh, because I think there's a scene where like everybody starts throwing up and I have oh, a really yeah. bad yeah, that's stomach. Definitely, and I yeah, just, that's definitely in it. I think I noped right the hell out of that movie. <laughs> I can believe it. Now, we have a ton of questions to go through. Oh, my God. Do we ever? And that's good because some, some of them are from the previous week uh-huh. and some of them are definitely on uh, on this week as well. So, ah, <laughs> Reads the card of a man. Oh, it was close. Knox just posted the entire lyrics of the song. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Sam. We we didn't we will not say that, but it could be. All right. Uh, all right. Questions. So we, what do you want to hit? Who do you want to hit first? Uh Knox has been pretty chatty tonight. Let's start with him. All right. Uh, all right. So Knox is asking, uh, when scaling character battles in a potentially massive way, should you also scale the firepower your PCs can use against the new threat, i.e. siege weapons on the field for your ranged characters to operate or even beneficial lair actions? Um, I guess it really depends on how you want to run the scene. 
uh, because you know, kind of like we discussed earlier tonight, your your <laughs> objectives typically in a mass combat are not going to be causing as many casualties as possible. I'm going to shift your brain just a little bit. OK. So we've talked about where the story is the most important part. But we haven't talked about is when the mass combat is something that's part of the required scene. That's true. We haven't talked about the A-team get-together moment. When the music kicks in and they turn the van into like a battle wagon. Yeah, I did that for you, buddy. You better have enjoyed that. (laughs) So think about it that way. I think in that case, you can do things like that. Yeah, in that case, um, I mean, look, here's the thing. Home Alone is another example of it. Where you're You're setting explain that one. You're setting traps. You're the one setting – the players are the ones setting the stage for the combat. Okay. You know, where they're setting it up so that they're preparing for the battle. Yeah. They're setting pieces in place. Maybe you do in those cases if it is appropriate. You might set up a siege weapon. It's yeah, yeah, definitely. I can I can see that. I think I think the the, the main takeaway for me though mm-hmm. is um don't focus so much on the numbers. I agree. Like, yeah, sure, you may have siege equipment, you may have a catapult or a ballista or a trebuchet or something like that that you're firing off and that's that's really cool. That's really super epic. Sure. But, um to me though, that's just going to boil down to a story element and not a game mechanic. Like, right. I'm not going to be rolling dice to see how many people you kill with your with your with your catapult. No. Like, it's just going to be, okay, you guys have a catapult, ergo, you can breach the wall. Yeah. And that wall will get you to the next part of the story. Exactly. Or, you know, because you've got X amount of siege equipment or you've got, you know, these sort of things in this mass combat. Right. Um, you know, the, the fight's going to end with them decimated rather than them, you know, maybe winning the battle or something like that. But one way or, or another, though. You rallied people together. Yeah. So now as the musketeer, as the guard comes out to stop the four of you. Suddenly the courtyard fills with all the musketeers and as you draw your sword and scream all for one, they all disrobe and show that they are the musketeers with you in full uniform. Oh, Great. Now you're all fighting in a mass combat instead of you against 55 people. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so uh, I, I think I think it depends. I think yeah. it depends on what, what story you're telling. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving a trebuchet Just don't worry like about that. the numbers. Could be cool. Just don't yeah. worry about the numbers. Don't worry move, about the numbers. Move the story. That's right. All right. Uh, I'm going to step into Mad Elf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this one I, th- I think was a good one um, that fits uh, scale mm-hmm. on on two levels. And that is, is um, if you're going to run a Kaiju-esque game, what would be your preference for what scale and therefore the scope for the players or the antagonists? Uh, would work best for you. Transformer size, Ultraman size, Godzilla size, Pacific Rim sized. Yeah, yeah. Jumped right over that one, didn't mm-hmm. I? Yeah, yeah. Swerved it. Right to the side. Practically drifted. So what we're talking about here is scale and scope. Yeah. And I think, again, it's feel. When you're setting the stage of your story, you're setting the feel. Mm-hmm. Are your characters unworldly, offworldly, otherworldly, and therefore something of that scale like a giant mech mm-hmm. coming in to blow up the city isn't a big deal? Mm-hmm. You know, it's big mech versus a big mech or four smaller mechs that can turn into a group combat mech you right, know, right. kind of moment. And even then the rules change for I'm the arm, I'm the leg, I'm the head, you know. Uh-huh. You make your roles for different things. So I think it comes down to what scale you want it to be in. What level of epic do you want to set it to? And does it change the way you talk about it? Does it change the way you look at it? Mm-hmm. Because whether you're in micro scale, a.k.a. I'm playing a mouse – Mm-hmm. And I'm dealing with a snake that's six times my size mm-hmm. and is super fast. Or I'm a fighter pilot going against a galactic scale cruiser yeah. that has hundreds of the ships of my size stashed in its bowels. Uh-huh. You know, or I'm it's nineteen forty two and I'm fighting an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. All of these are just scales of scene. Yeah. 
and it's how you look at the feel of the story. How do you want to – how important is it to the feel of the story? Right, and I, I think I think the, the important thing too is uh, think of what the – the threat represents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you know when you're asking the question of if you're telling a kaiju esque story, you know you're discussing a giant creature like that. Um, to me, thematically, mm-hmm. something like a kaiju represents like the inevitable inevitability of destruction. I agree. You know, and there's nothing you're going to do about that. Nope. Your it, city is getting destroyed. It's all about what you make of that experience. Ragnarok. About, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are you going to get out? What are you going to salvage? What are you going to do afterwards? Yep. You know, you're not going to alter the destruction here. Yeah. But the story is crap's going to hell in a handbasket and you need to figure some stuff out right yeah. now because it's happening. What's important to you because uh-huh. this ain't ending. Exactly. You know. Um. So I, I mean to me it, it fundamentally alters the storytelling at that point then if I can fight it back. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. A uh, big, big fan of uh, of uh, survival horror games back in the day, mm-hmm. and um, I always took the people always pit Silent Hill versus um, uh, Resident Evil against yeah, each oh, other. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I was always I was following the Silent Hill end of things mm-hmm. because in Resident Evil they give you like a machine gun and you can mow down zombies with it, and in Silent Hill I had a board with a nail in it or a flashlight or a flashlight mm-hmm. and a radio that screeched at me. Yeah, and like a pistol with 12 bullets maybe maybe yeah um it wasn't until much later in the game you got a rifle hey uh in the the horror factor for me came in not being able to fight back and that's where i was going with this right you know the moment you can fight back against something uh-huh it's, it's, fear it's, drops it's, it's yeah it's just a threat to it's just some it's just an obstacle to be beaten at that point yeah you know but the inevitability of it coming in and just destroying everything and you not being able to do anything about it that's a complete yep. mood shift that's a complete story shift for you yep um so yeah if you're if you're doing any size scale like that that's mm-hmm. that's the first thing you need to determine what's the end result you're aiming for what's the mood you're aiming for i agree you pick one all right uh technolich uh, let's see here. As a storyteller, do you find yourself ever using NPC in a serial manner that crosses over from setting to setting, campaign to campaign, like a touchstone <laughs> for your long-term players? I'm not answering this. Go ahead. Okay. This is all you. Uh, I don't know that I have an NPC, but I have a village. Okay. There is a granite ridge in every single one of my games. Awesome. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. The, mm-hmm. the, the village of Granite Ridge shows up somewhere. I don't think it showed up in my game yet. But no, I, I would rest assured. That. Rest assured, it's it's going to be there. Um, in my seventh C games, uh, I've always brought a couple characters, and one that shows up pretty regularly is uh, Padre Inguis. He's he's just a priest. Sometimes he's an inquisitor. Sometimes he's early in his career. Sometimes he's late in his career. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's a professor late in his career, and so. I always bring him back because you guys always remember who he is. Yeah. Even though you're totally different characters, as players, you're excited to see Padre Inguis. Yeah. So – Absolutely. I, and I, then all the girls at the, at the table sigh. That's Aww. right. That's right. But that's the thing is – and that's not even a character that's part of 7C. That's a character I made. Uh-huh. There are characters that I bring back you know, because they're known people. Sure. Um, and and they of the world and they're kind of you know known actors I guess you could say within the story. Um. But that would be mine. I mm-hmm. think you know, Padre Greece would be the one for me. So definitely, yeah. I think I think it's great. I, I like I like having those moments where you're like, oh yeah, I remember that? It's great. Nice. Um, you hit another, another Mad Elf one. Sure, he hit like four questions what a, to us. Uh, how about some brainstorming for dungeon crawl stories in a system without dungeons? Well, I think anything's a dungeon if uh, if you, if you you know complicated enough. Well, I I see a dungeon as an explorational area. Yeah. Plus, a little bit of mystery, like mystery or question. Yeah, yeah. And concern. I, I, exploration. The keep I gave you guys was a dungeon crawl. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, yeah. So exploration plus mystery plus a little environmental danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a dungeon. Yeah. Right there. Am I in a? I'm in a town that's vacant. Mm-hmm. You know. That's a, that's a dungeon. Look, Shadowrun. Shadowrun is not traditionally a, a, a dungeon crawling game. It's a cyberpunk game that takes place in the 2050s right. or, or, or thereabouts anyways. Um, I know the timelines move on. I think it's like 2070 something now. Yeah. But anyways, um, cyberpunk thing. But like if you go to a 
uh, medical facility, mm-hmm. you know, to steal some science secrets for mm-hmm. whatever, you know, corporate, you know, espionage you're, you're, you're executing. Yeah. And uh, you find when you when you find out when, when you get there, you find out that some of the experiments have gone awry and things are not as they seem. Right. Now you're lurking through this uh, through this thing with like mysterious, weird mutant creatures lurking around in the shadows, red klaxons going off and like half of the hallways are sealed with like blast security doors mm-hmm. you know and you need to crawl through air vents and stuff like that to get from place to place to place to complete your objective or find security keys yeah that's a dungeon a, crawl that's a dungeon crawl that's a dungeon crawl and you just did it in Shadowrun you know yeah. i mean uh anytime again like you said anytime there's a mystery involved mm-hmm. like i don't care what the world is you come into a town and it is silent yeah there's not a soul there and covered in fog Maybe, hey. maybe. So, that that is that can be a dungeon crawl right there. Um, go ahead, grab another one. All right, uh, let's see. Here. Let's go back to Technolich. Technolich asks a second question: Do you find the group dynamics of players who know each other IRL in real life versus players who only know each other through the game to affect gameplay? Uh, and do you prefer one type over the other? Uh, it, I mean, it absolutely affects gameplay. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, your your PCs who know each other. Um, out of game and are comfortable with each other out of game and are friends uh, are going to feel far more comfortable at the table, far more comfortable to um, get into emotional topics, to get uh, – to, to even just role play in general. You know, if you're not comfortable with the, play- the players at the table, you're there's, – there's a tendency to kind of wheel your – your role play back a little bit, be a little conservative with it rather than, you know, lean straight into the goofy accent and start talking about the the deep, you know, dark past of your character. I think it also makes for interactions between player or between characters awkward. Because yeah. for instance, if, you know, I come into a game and I've done this, I've come into other people's games where I've joined them and I start interacting, playing off of the other players. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get like, well, uh, you know, what are you saying? Like, are you are you like interested in me or something? No, like my my character's just that way. He's flirty with everybody. Like he's an equal opportunity player, right? And it's like that's an awkward moment right there. That now you have to kind of figure out. Like now you can't play the character that way, or yeah. maybe there's something you know, or you know, you you get those situations where you have a char- you have a player who's very fun and likes bringing a lot of interplayer combat or mm-hmm. discussions in, you know, where they might start doing gimmicky things to each other, you know, or, or you know, stealing things or, you know, whatever sure. to create that. And now people are pissed off. Why are you doing this in the game? Like, no, it's just my character. That's that's what they are. Uh-huh. They're, they're a tiny goblin who likes stealing shiny things and you had it. So, right. like, if you uh, don't know so, each other, then, like, you know, it's awkward. It's it's awkward and can quite possibly create a lot of conflict between your players. And Very much so. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. But it, and it's hard to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a I think it's semi-necessary. Yeah. Like playing. I will say when I was at Gen Con with the guys and we played the D&D game, mm-hmm. we really didn't get to know the other people at the table at all. Yeah. Whatsoever. But it was nice that we were all together. Sure. When we went to the Shadowrun game, I have no idea. The only thing that made an impression on me were the two drunk guys who were sitting next to me just F, you know, effing around the entire time that we were there. They did Jeez. not give two shits what we were doing. Uh-huh. I think they were just getting through the mission. Yeah. Just to have it done. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we've got time to squeeze one more and we just got the three-minute warning. Okay. Uh, so we'll go back to the Mad Elf. Uh, let's see here. Um Uh, what do you think about scaling a game to have multiple PVs? I'm assuming as point of views for, uh, each, for each for each player. Uh, everyone plays a command uh, plays a command officer at the strategic level and a frontline soldier. Hmm. I think that's a lot to control. Yeah. That's... I like I like the idea from Seventh C mm-hmm. where you've got positions on the boat. And then they're seeing what the effects of that are. Yeah. But I think trying to mix both of those in would be good for maybe an opening of a story. Yeah, I could see like jumping around different perspectives for just to just to get a narrative out on out into the air. But um Like I could do that for Seventh C, but I would do it differently. Like I might set up a scene where like I tell them who they are, mm-hmm. where they are and what they're doing. 
and then that affects maybe a group of somebodies and they – the whole group plays a scene together yeah. as somebody other than their players, right. than their actual characters. And then I move to another person and they explain something and then there's a scene that gets played along with that. You know, I did that one time uh, on a kind of side note because this wasn't a multiple sure, point sure, of view sure. thing. But this was a uh, – uh, one of my D&D parties hired some mercenaries to go get some uh, some rare uh, components for them for, yep. for some spell. So you had them play it. I had a one shot. They go. They were oh. the mercenaries and went to go collect the, 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 the component. There you go. There you uh, go. So that was pretty cool. So it's possible. I, it's challenging. I would think it would be with the right group it could be good. Yep. All right, so next week we are talking about contemporary games, uh, games set in the modern era. Uh, so you can find us online at st underscore conclave on Instagram, also at st underscore conclave uh, on Discord. Um, you can find the link to that in our Twitter in uh, and on every episode description in your favorite podcast listening software. And I wanted to say, uh, hit us up on uh, uh, on either Instagram or on Twitter. Give us a, show us some pictures of your uh, of your games. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's see what yeah. you're doing. Keep posting with that. Uh, we'd like to thank our Patreon members, Knox and Sam, especially, um, and all of our other Patreon members who help us out every week and make this show better every time and easier for both uh, myself and Sarah to get through it. Our intro music is "Beyond the Warriors" by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. Our outro music is our own, Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. We record every week at Podcast Detroit. You can find them online at podcastdetroit.com, on Twitter at Podcast Detroit, and our engineer is Caitlin. She is lovely and wonderful. We'd like to thank our families. You have been so supportive of us, and soon we will be... Uh, having some fun with them as well secrets to come uh but we'd like to thank our friends and our families who play 7c and DD and Shadowrun and all the games that make everything wonderful and of course we want to thank every single one of your one of our listeners we love you thank you